0: So, how are all of you this morning? You're fine? Are you all fine? No? Come on. We're here to be honest this morning. Honest and, and I'm going to call you all up and you're going to tell me all about what has gone wrong in your life and that'll be our service today. No, I'm just kidding. Just kidding. No. But we don't have life under control. Isn't that right? Can you identify with the lyrics of this song at all? Did it bring a few tears to your eyes maybe or make your heart hurt a little bit? Because we come here and we're dressed up and we look wonderful and people really don't know what happened this morning or what happened during this week or what happened last night because we don't share that and we shouldn't share it with everyone, but we can share it with God. And that's what I wanna talk about. I wanna get right to the truth this morning and the truth is Jesus, right? That's where we go. He identified himself as the truth, the way, the truth, and the life. So we're going to go right to his word and talk about a plan that he has for us. So um, I want to use that song as kind of a backdrop for what I'm teaching. So let's just pray for a minute as we get started here. Lord, you are such an amazing God. We love you so much for what you've done for us. I pray that you speak to each heart this morning, that you would break down walls of resistance and bitterness and hopelessness and hurt and get right to the heart of the truth of the matter, that we are broken people and we need you. We need you desperately. So let us not be ashamed of ourselves, Lord, but to know that you love us no matter what. Use the words that I speak today, Lord, I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, so I want us to start with an Old Testament verse this morning. Did you get a handout this morning? If you didn't get a handout, could you raise your hand? It's just got the scriptures on it that we're using. Um, Is anybody back there that can hand them out? That would be good. There's pens back there, too. If you need a pen, raise your hand. The first scripture I want to start with is Jeremiah 29, 11. This is probably one that you're pretty familiar with, right? It says, for, the plans, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. Now, you may have shared this scripture with somebody at one point after they've kind of told you a hardship they were going through and you wanted to give them some hope. So you quoted this scripture, right? And that's great, right? It's a great promise of God. And God spoke this to Jeremiah to speak to the people of Israel just before they were going into 70 years of exile in Babylon. And and God tells them also at that time, don't stop living. Even though you're going through this really rough time in your life, build your houses, have children, plant farms, Get on with your life. I think that's a good message for us too because we're always going through something that's difficult. Life is never easy. But I think we have to have more of a context for this verse. I always feel when I say that to somebody, I want to give them something else to hold on to that's really more concrete than this. I don't want to say God's word is nebulous, but it's kind of esoteric, right? It's kind of, okay, okay. God knows the plans for me, but I don't know them. I can't figure them out. Am I just supposed to walk through life not knowing? Well, I think I found something that's the plan. All right? right? You want to know what it is? All right. So, it's the Beatitudes of all things. Right? Okay. (laughs) Because we would like to know what our hope and what our future is. And we know that. So, when Jesus comes onto the scene, and he starts talking about the poor in spirit and all of that, right? Um, I always read them as the poor in spirit are those people who are carrying the piano of weight on their back, right? They're the one that are milking the cow of pity till it's empty, and they're all, you know, they're just, like, really downtrodden people. And then there's those uh, peacemakers, right, who are always making peace, they're optimists, and we're like, just go away, right, I don't need that right now, and then there's those mercy people, right, I'm a mercy person, it's a, it's a spiritual gift, right, mercy, and the mercy people are making casseroles for all those that are mourning over here and, and sad, so that's the way I always read this, that there's different categories for these types of people, but I think that we've been reading this all wrong, because I believe that everything that Jesus came to say and spoke was so purposeful and had so much meaning into our lives spiritually that we have to pay more attention to these. So I had the privilege of visiting Israel two years ago, and I got to go to the mount, of, uh, to the mount where Jesus supposedly spoke these beatitudes and the Sermon on the Mount. And as you walk down the path to get to the site where it overlooks, um, you stand high on this mountain and it overlooks the Sea of Galilee. It's beautiful up there. It's lush and green and just gorgeous. And you can just imagine what it was like having Jesus sit up there and speak to those people who were so hungry and so broken and so oppressed but as you walk down this path, you, you pass all of these stone markers that have each one of the Beatitudes written on them. And um, again, they're separated. But I think we're going to put them all together this morning. So I want to start by reading a little bit of backstory to the Beatitudes. And this is in your, on your little handout. I don't do slides, I'm sorry. I'm, and I don't want to do slides, so I don't ever want to learn PowerPoints. I know enough. All right, we're going to start with Matthew 4, verse 12. So it's a little bit before um, Jesus starts speaking. Jesus has just, according to Matthew, Jesus has just endured 40 days in the wilderness, fasting and being tempted by Satan. And then he comes out of the wilderness. He goes north back to Galilee, and that's where we pick up the story. When Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, that's John the Baptist, he returned to Galilee, leaving Nazareth, He went and lived in Capernaum, which was by the lake in the land of Zebulun and Naphtali, to fulfill what was said of the prophet Isaiah. The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way to the sea, along the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people living in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow, a light has dawned. That from this time on, Jesus began to preach, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. Then the next few verses, Jesus calls his disciples, and we catch up with him in verse 23. It says, Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, which is what people did back then. They would, anybody could speak in the synagogue, so Jesus was doing a lot of his teaching there. Preaching the good news of the kingdom, healing every disease and sickness among the people. News about him spread all over Syria, and people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases, those suffering severe pain, the demon-possessed, those having seizures, and the paralyzed, and he healed them. Large crowds from Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, and Judea, and the region across the Jordan followed him. I think those verses give us a pretty clear picture that Jesus was having a serious impact on their culture, right? He was certainly a light that was shining in this, in this area, um, and people were receiving him very wholeheartedly. Now we come to chapter 5, which is the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. Now when he saw the crowds, he, Jesus, went up on a mountain and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them, saying, Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So my hope today is to bring some new clarity and... um, a different, little bit different perspective to these statements that Jesus make. They may seem like descriptions of certain outward behaviors because I think that's what we've looked at, the Beatitudes, as be attitudes, right? These are the attitudes you, should, you are supposed to have. But I also know that when Jesus spoke, he was always trying to reach our heart, not just our mind. Our attitude is one thing we can control, right? We can have a positive attitude we can have a negative attitude, we make that choice. But I think Jesus is talking in a little bit deeper way around here. So let me break these down for you, and I think you're gonna be really blessed, I hope so. So first of all, the word blessing that's used here doesn't mean happy. So that takes a lot of what you thought this meant, like these mourning people, people who are mourning should be happy. No, you're gonna be upset, you're gonna cry a lot of tears, you've got a lot of loss in your life. And it doesn't have to be the the death of someone, it can be the loss of a dream, the loss of an idea, any kind of a loss you grieve over, just different levels of grieving. So we're not talking about being happy here. This Greek word that Jesus is using is called makarios. I think that's how you say it, is that right? Okay, and it means one who is fully satisfied. Takes a whole different take on what these beatitudes mean. So, in order for us to be fully satisfied does not depend on our circumstances, right? Because as we said, mourning and being poor and all of that are not favorable circumstances. We just heard a song that talked about our lives not being in order and under control, right? We don't have control of things that are happening in our lives or in the lives of our loved ones, right? We see things happening, we want to step in and take care of it, and heal it, and make it all better. But that's not how God works. We only become truly satisfied because of God living in us through Christ Jesus. It's the only way. Jesus says makarios because he's talking about the fact that he came to earth to fulfill every promise that God ever made. And this is all part of his, his talk here with these people. He came to show us the way. So by connecting this teaching of the Beatitudes with Jeremiah 29 tells me that this is the plan. The hope in the future, I have a good plan for you and a hope in a future, Jeremiah says. Well, these Beatitudes are the hope in the future that God promises to us because they work for every single person. No matter what you're going through, no matter what circumstance you're in, These, this plan will work. Okay? So... I'm going to really help you see this. So I'm going to show you how to make sense out of this. From the moment the Holy Spirit begins to reveal our sinfulness and to the moment that we are face-to-face with God in glory, this is the process. This is the journey. It doesn't end until we get to heaven. But there's purpose in it and there's fulfillment in it. They're not disconnected verses or random statements, they're stepping stones, I want you to see them as that. These are stepping stones that bring us more and more into line with who Jesus is and more and more like him as we do life with him. So let's look at these and see how they link together. The first one, first stepping stone, number one, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Poor in spirit does not mean being financially poor. It doesn't mean that we're always in a mental state of sadness or sorrow or anything like that. But what it does mean is that you've recognized who you are. You've recognized you are a wretch. You have no righteousness in you. You are full of sin. We all are full of sin. It's our condition It's not something we do. We say we sin, but we are sin. It's something that's churning within us all the time. The only reason we do anything good is because we are created in the image of God and he's got this thing working in us that helps us know right from wrong. Now, moms, you know exactly what it means to be sinful because you have kids, you know you don't have to teach one single one of them how to be bad. Right? They know it. They know how to be nasty. They know how to not to share. They know how to argue. They know how to be selfish. They were born that way. We all were. But what we have to do is train our minds to be made into the image of Christ and train our hearts. And that's what we do as parents, right? Deuteronomy 6 tells us we should be teaching these laws to our children every day, no matter what we do, whether we rise up, when we lie down, when we walk on the way, no matter when we sit down to eat, we always should be teaching them about Jesus and who he is. So we come to this place in our lives where hopefully we've seen that we are spiritually bankrupt without Christ. We cannot save ourselves this is what it means to be poor in spirit we can't patch things up we can't set new goals we can't go to therapy and we can't see a new life coach to fix us up what we need is a superhero who's your favorite superhero Wonder Woman Wonder Woman <laughs> Amen Captain America Spider-Man I think our kids know more about these superheroes than they sometimes know about Jesus Christ because they can go on for hours talking about those things. My son, Greg, is one of those. And Greg loves the Lord. Greg and my grandson, Ethan, can um, go back and forth with movie quotes like forever. Like that's their conversation, right? No, Your, your kids don't do that? They still do, (laughs) exactly. (laughs) All right. The only superhero we really have is Jesus Christ, right? Because none of those guys gave their lives for me. Only Jesus did that. So we need him to save us, to give us a new heart. Um, We come to our senses when we find out we are poor in spirit. The prodigal son left every blessing that his father had in his house and walked out on his own and went and lived life how he thought he wanted to live it, and it was a disaster. And then it says in the word that he finally came to his senses. That's what being poor in spirit is, coming to your senses and realizing who you are and who God is, and it breaks you, right? It should break you. This is the most important step that you can have in your Christian journey is to be broken by your sin, And once you realize, I can't look at him and say, oh, I'm not as bad as that person, or I'm not as bad as that person. That's not what this means. This means you are all on the same playing field. Nobody sins, better or worse. Everybody is a sinner. If you haven't come to that point, you can't move on in the plan. You're stuck, right? So this you have to come to terms with. You know that you're not fine. And when you do, you know you're not fine and you are broken. Then you can move on to step two. So let's do that. Number two is blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. So once you have realized that you are full of sin and broken, you start to mourn because you're mourning the loss of, wow, I'm not the person I thought I was. I'm not as good as I thought I was. I didn't do all those wonderful things. I'm really just a mess inside, and I look at Jesus, and I realize that what I am sent him to the cross, and that's powerful. That breaks me, and he did that willingly. When we finally take an honest look at our rebelliousness against God, because that's what this is, I know better than you, God. I'm going to do it my way. That's rebellion. And the damage that we've caused the people we love, which always happens when we're trying to control things and make ourselves look better, we begin to mourn and weep. Not because we got caught in it, but because of the deep spiritual impact that that has on us, that we've sinned against God. We've sinned against our maker, our creator, the one who breathes life into us every single day. We can't take a breath without him. And we take that so for granted. Let this sink into your spirit a little bit. God, what have I done? What am I without you? I'm nothing. Help me. And then we get to look at the promises that Jesus gives to those who truly mourn for their sin. That blessing becomes the Holy Spirit because when we really, really know that we can't do anything without Christ. Jesus sends the Holy Spirit into our lives to comfort us. When the things that break God's heart break ours too, the Holy Spirit moves in and gives us peace beyond our understanding. It's something that you can't explain to people unless they have it themselves. And we are satisfied now, right? This is all about being fully satisfied with each of these things because we're beginning to understand who we are and who God is. Which helps, in this experience, helps us move on to step three. Number three is blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. From brokenness to weeping, we step into meekness and humility. Meekness and humility are kind of the same, same thing. Meek does not mean, mean weak, and humility does not mean being humiliated. They're very different. Yes. So the Greek word here for meek is a bit bridled horse. Now, a horse we know is not a weak animal. It's very powerful. But when that bit is put in its mouth, and it yields its will to the rider, it can now be directed toward purpose and what it's meant to do, right? It's a guided strength. And that's what happens to us too when we yield our will to God, when we come, become meek and humble and know that we can't do life on our own. We have made a mess of it. And so we come to that place in our lives where we say, I can't, but you can, God. Yielding is surrendering. We hate that word, surrender. But boy, that's what you have to do. If you can't surrender to the Lord, you can't move on. And you're going to just going to be stuck in your, own, in your own controlled life. Right? So blessed are you when you get to that place in your life, when you realize your way is not working. And you say to the Lord, I trust you not only to forgive my sins, but to guide and direct my life. And the blessing or the satisfaction in that is that everybody who surrenders their life to the Lordship of Christ will one day inherit the earth, not this broken down, messed up one, but the new one that, God's, that Christ will issue in when he returns. Amen, right? Red flag warning. If you reject God here, if you say, yeah, I know I'm a sinner and I'll stop my sinning. That's good. I can do that. But I can figure this all out on my own. I'm just going to cross the street and walk down the other side of it. So I won't be doing that anymore. But you're not changing your way. You're just going in the same direction. Repenting, this is the moment you're saved. Repenting of your sin and turning around. That's what repent means. To turn around and go in a different direction. So you cannot just say, I'm sorry I sinned and be done with it. You need to repent that and know that your life is going to start changing for a good way. I want to stop here and talk a little bit about bitterness because I learned a lot in this, about this just recently. Um, if, you're in a play, if you come to church every Sunday and you read your Bible and you pray and you do all those things, come to Bible study or whatever, but you don't feel an intimacy or a connection with God, it may be because you've got a bitter root in your soul, in your spirit. I think this is so important because everybody gets hurt in life, right? Some are big hurts, some are little hurts. But it's the hurts that we don't deal with, that we don't just let go and forgive right away, that plant in our, in our souls, in our spirits. And once they're planted there, they start to take root. And this is affects everything in our lives, and it especially makes us feel disconnected with God because even though you're saved, you can't connect with God because there's bitterness and holiness and they can't go together. They can't dwell in the same heart. The seed of bitterness, let me read, this is the definition that I found. The seed of bitterness is a hurt that is planted in someone, and sometimes you don't even realize it. I know I didn't. When someone becomes bitter, it's because they have not dealt with an old hurt. They look to criticize, find fault with people, look for ways to justify the way they feel, react in ways that justify their bitterness. A bitter person is hypersensitive, ungrateful, insincere, sarcastic, holds grudges, and has mood swings. Is any of that you? Bitterness will affect you physically, emotionally, and spiritually, because the fruit of bitterness is an acid that destroys its container. When your heart is bitter, God will not be real to you, because hatred and holiness do not dwell in the same heart, and without holiness, you will not see the Lord. We're all bitter at some point. We all can be bitter people because we don't know what hurts necessarily we've been hanging on to and not letting God forgive and heal. But you don't have to stay that way, right? God doesn't want us to be that way. He says not to let, a bitter, not to let bitterness um, dwell in your heart. So let God reveal it. How do you do that? By asking him, show me, show me what's in my heart that needs to be removed. So help bring it to your mind and let's, let grace relieve it. Grace is God giving you favor that you don't deserve. Ask for forgiveness from it. And then let good replace it. Start changing your behavior. Let go of the hurt. Offer forgiveness to that person that you may be holding that hurt against. This is so important because you can't move on in your spiritual life until you've done these things. So once you've gotten rid of all your bitterness and you are connected with God, you can move on to number four, step number four, which is, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. They will be filled. From broken to mourning to humbled and meek, we're now seeing we can't do life without God, and man, I need to get to know you, Lord. So we develop an appetite for the things of God. The Holy Spirit is awakening this hunger and thirst in us for spiritual nourishment. We're desperate for it. We want his word. I don't know when, um, when you're first saved. I think this is kind of like um, something you just dig into right away. But then kind of maybe as you move on, you kind of lose that first love, that, that spark that kind of kept you going. Um, but I tell you, the more that you seek God's word and, and spend time in his word, the more satisfied you will be Your appetite for God and who he is and what you can do for him out of gratitude in your heart begins to produce right living, right? That's what righteousness is, right living. And we don't have it in ourselves. It's only from the Lord. So your behavior will start to change as you start living right, right? It's replacing your unrighteousness. There's going to be some spiritual fruit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness. Self-control, did I say them all? Faithfulness. 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 Thank you. Um, All of those things. People will start wondering, what happened to that person? They're going to see a change in your behavior. When we're physically hungry, we eat food, right? When we're spiritually hungry, we feed on the word of God, and it becomes our daily nourishment, and it satisfies more than anything else can, The more things you do in your life to stir up an appetite for Christ, the more your appetite grows for him. It's like sugar, right? You get addicted to sugar when you have, the more you have, the more you need. God's word is better than sugar. All right. Oh, so the opposite is true too, right? If your appetite is for the stuff of this world and you just keep adding to that and adding to that. Um, it's going to just overwhelm you, and it's, but you're not going to find satisfaction in that. It's unlike the word of God that brings you satisfaction. In the worldly stuff, you're just going to want more and more, and it's never going to satisfy. It's going to leave you empty, actually. The more we're filled with the truth of God in ourselves, we become more and more grateful, right? We can't believe what we used to be and what we're becoming now. We've been rescued, we are redeemed, and we begin to see the world as Jesus sees it. And that makes us mercy people. All of us, not just one little group. And that leads us to step five. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. So by now, in your walk through this journey, this plan, you begin to realize, I've received God's mercy Our ladies in our Bible study know what mercy is. Who can tell me what mercy is? Do you remember? Mercy is not getting what we deserve, which means death, eternal separation from God. That's the wages of sin. Because of God's mercy, we're not getting that. Because of what Jesus did on the cross, we don't have to die. Wow, that's amazing. Grace is getting what we don't deserve, which is God's favor and God's blessing and God's goodness in our lives. We don't deserve any of that, but he pours it out on us all the time. We're overcome by the mercy of God, and we get, start to see people around us that need mercy. We can recognize some of those broken and hurting people that we run into in our daily lives because we've been there. We know what they're going through. And we feel for them. We really want to be of help. We want to understand and show them that there is some hope. So we can recognize that. And this is all part of the process of being sanctified, which means becoming more like Christ. You're getting his character into your being. And that's awesome. People around us are being affected by the evidence of the Holy Spirit in us. And we are becoming a conduit for drawing others to Christ hopefully that's happening in your life. Hopefully people can see evidence of Jesus working in you. We become part of that rescue team, right? We can spread love and spread the peace and spread the joy and the message of Jesus. The intention of our days begins to change from me-centered to others-centered. Moms are doing this already. Because you know, the moment you become a mom, you are not the center of your world anymore, right? It's not about you at all. (laughs) It's about your children. And there is nothing your children can do that can make you not love them, nothing. You will always love them. And that's how God loves us too. So that kind of deep love that moms and dads have, you have to know that that's the way God loves us. It's amazing, it never changes, it's unconditional. I hope this is encouraging you. All right. Because now you're going to be pure in heart, which leads us to step six. uh, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Are you seeing the progression of all of this here? Is it making sense? You see this as God's plan that fits everyone. It doesn't matter what circumstance you're in. So now you're growing in the Lord And Well, first of all, um, since you've surrendered your life to the Lord, you are pure in heart. Not because you've done something really good, but because of what Jesus did on the cross for you. Because of his finished work, we are pure in heart. Being pure in heart causes us to see God in everything. Our vision starts to change, right? And the more you invite God into your life, the more the space that you give him, he will generously fill that space with himself. If you don't give him any space, he can't get in. Right? All right. So I've, I've prayed this prayer before, um, probably opening the service so most of you here didn't hear it. Ooh, that was mean. That was manipulative. I'm sorry. But try beginning your, prayer, your day with this prayer. Before you even check your phone, pray this to God. There's copies outside. God, I want to see you. God, I want to hear you. God, I want to know you, and I want to follow hard after you. God, you know best. God, you are good. God, you are good to me. You are good at being God. Your will be done because I am so confident that you will lead me right from here. God, show me someone to forgive. Show me someone to bless. Show me evidence all around me of your goodness and faithfulness. And I promise you, I will look for you all day long. If you start your day with that, I guarantee you will see God everywhere in your day. And it will change your perspective and your attitude and you'll get past this selfishness that you've got and that it's about me and all that stuff that creeps in so unintentionally, right? One important thing to remember is that even though you have a pure heart which is now aligned with Christ and is changing and is being sanctified, you do not have a pure mind. Ah, Ezekiel 36, verse 26 says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove your heart of stone and give, give you a heart of flesh. One that's alive and beating, right? But we still struggle with all this because our pesky minds still want to control everything. But Romans 12, 1 and 2 says what? Do not be conformed by, to this world, but be transformed By the renewing of your mind, right? Our minds need to be renewed constantly to become aligned with our new pure heart. How does this happen? Well, filling yourself with God, filling your mind with God. That's how it gets transformed, by spending time in God's word, by talking with him in prayer, by being in fellowship with other Christians, that's how your mind gets renewed. And then it will certainly line up in your heart. Your, your way of thinking will change. But it's got to be intentional. Again, if you don't give God space to do this, there's no room for him to move in. Seeing God here and now in this world is awesome, right? But his promise is, What does it say on that? Um, That we will see God someday, when we take our last breath here on earth and our first breath in heaven, we're gonna see God face to face. That's gonna be incredible. When we see Jesus and get to run into his arms, there's not gonna be one day that's better. But until that day comes, we're stuck here on earth, and Jesus wants us to continue this path that we're on by becoming peacemakers. That's the next step. Number seven, blessed are the peacemakers for they will be called sons of God. We're now being equipped, right, for this journey and one of the pieces of equipment that we get is the armor of God and one of those pieces of armor is shoes of peace. So we're now able to see that we can bring peace, right? Shoes are what you walk in. They're with you all the time, right? Unless you leave them home in the closet. But if you've got them on in your walking places, you can bring peace wherever you go. That means where there's chaos, where there's discontent, where there's arguments, where there's um, what else is there? Brokenness, all kinds of stuff, right? You can walk in there and be a source of peace. That's an amazing gift to have, an amazing piece of armor to put into use. Because when an argument is escalating out of control, and you know they do, they do in my house. I can stop and say, wait a minute, how can I put an end to this? What can I say that would calm things down and bring it down a little? And that works, because going back to the Word of God and speaking peace and truth and life into a situation calms the whole thing down. As the Holy Spirit lives in us, we be able to be more and more equipped all the time to be able to do these things. And because we're sons and daughters, it says that we are called sons of God. We're sons and daughters of God. We are godly or godlike. So we are going to have that motivation, and we're going to have that um, that character of God that's now growing within us. Wow! So now we know, right? We're growing. We're maturing. We've got this. Everything's fine now. We're peacemakers. We've learned how to walk with the Lord. We've learned how to be meek and humble. We've learned how to recognize our sinfulness. We've learned about bitterness. We're letting it all go. Now everything is fine. No. Jesus has one more um, beatitude to share share with us. Number eight, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. I don't think that sounds right. Everything should be under control, and all is right with the world now because I've done all. I've done the path. You should be fully satisfied. Not. Not when I'm being persecuted. That can't be what he's talking about. Well, I think this is a twist in the path, path and I want us to find out that life is not forever going to be pain-free and carefree and horror-free and all of that because life on earth continues. So this is what's happening here. Um, In your thoughts and in your words and in your actions, you're becoming more and more like Jesus. And those who oppose those things, who are on the opposite side, not like Christ, not living for him, they're not gonna like you very much. Don't expect them to. Jesus found out they didn't, right? He said, "In in this world you will have trouble, but I've overcome the world. Don't be surprised by this and don't, and, and expect it. Um, Jesus had lots of trouble, and he did everything perfect. He did all the right things. He constantly obeyed God. He knew how to pray. He knew how to speak to people. He knew he is the way, the truth, and the life. He did nothing wrong, and yet he had the most trouble, more than any of us will ever experience. Remember what we said about bitter people? that hate and holiness cannot dwell together? Well, health and wholeness cannot dwell with unhealth. So people who are unhealthy don't bond with you. They don't understand you. So it's not gonna mesh, so there's gonna be conflict. The more healthy you get and the more you're letting your life shine, light shine, life shine, um, the more you may see um, disconnect and not getting along. But then Jesus continues in that. He says, blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. It makes sense that people will have to lie and put you down in order to justify themselves and to not expose the sin in their own lives. And those lies can hurt, and they can even break us, which brings us back to number one. Blessed are you who are poor in spirit, who's broken. And then you move on to step two, and then step three. And each time you go through these steps, you become more and more like Christ. Character is being built because you're coming up a level. Each time, this never ends, this cycle, this path. Do you see it? I think it's so cool. We're always going to have struggles and pain in this life. So if we've got a plan for it, if every time we break, we know what the next step is going to be and what the next step is going to be and what the next step is going to be, and we are expecting persecution, we're expecting people to not say good things about us, we're not shaken by it. We know this is coming. It should not bother us. It shouldn't tear us down and fly us off the rails. We know where we stand in Christ, and that's such an amazing blessing. The truth is, we are not of this world, right? These insults and all of that are part of this unforgiving world, but we are of the kingdom of heaven. That's our hope and our future, not here in this world. That's all not gonna be fulfilled here. Nobody's gonna fulfill it here, and no circumstance is gonna fulfill it here. Don't expect it to be fulfilled here. No human being is capable of that. So we won't be here very long right? But my prayer and my hope is is that you're all ready to meet Jesus. If he were to come back today, are you ready? Do you know he's the savior of your sins? Do you know that he can live in your heart and be that way, that truth and that life for you? Are people around you persecuting you because you're living for him? Is there evidence of the life that Jesus gives you inside of you and is it coming out? Are people seeing it? I pray that you commit your life to him today because he's done so much for you. When you look at Jesus on the cross, and I hope you do, I hope you look at him daily. What the price that he paid for you because that's so important. That's what motivates us to keep going and to keep living for him. We have so much to be thankful for. Amen. So if you have not done so already, I pray that you would make a decision today and surrender your life to the Lord Jesus and let him come in and dwell in your heart, give you a new heart and start to change your mind the way you think because our eternal hope is all because of Jesus. We're going to sing a song to close today that's entitled, Thank You, Jesus, because I think it's pretty connected to what we've talked about here today. And it starts out with, I know I'm a wretch, and I think we need to come to that place. And then we can move on from there once we've recognized it. And the sky's the limit. I've been following the Lord for 68 years, and I'm still learning and it's still new, and it's still fresh, and it's still exciting. It never, ever, ever gets old. And I'm so grateful for all that God has brought me through. My life hasn't been a a picnic. (laughs) But he's shown me how he can be real to me in all of it, in all the hard times, all the good times, everything. He uses it all. He doesn't waste anything. So even if you're at the bottom, even if you're at the pit right now, He'll use all of that stuff if you allow him to transform you and make you new and follow him. Thank you, Jesus.